Hello and welcome to Dan and Brandon's podcast. Our name is intentionally blank because we have not come up with a good name yet. We promised that we would do it this time and we promise that we will. We're going we're gonna to come up with one. We're going to do this. Though our first thing that I wanted to talk about okay. is the fact that you and I live through, we, we talked a lot last time about nerds and nerd culture mm -hmm. and things like that. And we are not super nerds compared to some of our friends, but we did live through nerd culture becoming culture, mainstream yeah, culture. we did. Which is a fascinating thing to have lived through and to look back on. And it changes like how my son interacts at high school as a guy in to, or in mm -hmm. junior high into nerdy things is so different from the way that I interacted that it's it's something I've become more aware of as I've been yeah. there. It, it's very different. And you and I specifically, 44 and 45 years old, yep. we are in the very narrow subset of Gen X. And I can't remember the name for this, but we're the ones who came of age during the transition from analog to digital. Yeah. There's like four or five years of this little subset and that's us. And, and we're very comfortable with digital expression and things like this. Like one of the big things that showed me I mean, this isn't the nerd culture, but it's the digital mm -hmm. that was so different is early in my career, I went on tours with other authors and yeah. I had a website and Twitter presence and a mailing list just because I knew about the internet, right? Mm -hmm. And before I would go to these book signings, I was much less popular than these other two authors just on raw sales. Yeah. I would send out an email and say, hey guys, I'm going to be here. Anyone wants to come by, this is the signing. And I'd have... 30 or 40 people show up for me and they would have 10, um, right? And that was a good signing for them. You know, 10 to 15, mm -hmm. that's what they've been doing their whole lives. They're best-selling authors. High mid-listers is yeah. probably where they yeah. really would rank. And then suddenly this kid whose sales are half theirs are pulling 40 or so people to the signings. And I realized, oh, I am of that the generation that gets digital and knows how to work on the internet. And these people who are not that much older than me, just a little bit older, just don't. Yeah, no idea. And that's where we are. That's where I feel like I am right now with like TikTok and Instagram. Yeah. Like I have no clue, but the next generation down, I talk to Charlie Holmberg all the time. She knows it backwards and forwards. But to your original point, yes. we did not grow up with that. Nope. We got to watch the world change. Mm -hmm. You know, I went to school when nerdy stuff, like I remember getting mocked by one of my church leaders at an activity because I talked about the X-Men. And he's like, oh, this nerd's talking about the X-Men. And first of all, what youth leader mocks a kid? Yeah. Come on, dude. But more importantly, 30 years later, everyone knows who the X-Men right. are. It is not weird to talk about them. It's weird not to know who they are. And that's the transition that we've watched just over the course of our lives. When I was in my senior year in high school, there was a writing contest, a sci-fi writing contest, sci-fi fantasy. And my teacher in my, uh, they got the, the little thing in their cubby or whatever, hand out these flyers. And they got a bunch of flyers. And he's like, oh. he walked over and put them all on my desk and said, you're the only one that'll care about this. Here you go. <laughs> and I won that competition, the student uh, sci-fi writing contest. But he knew out of a class full, this was, this was AP English. Mm -hmm. He knew there was only one kid in that whole class who was into sci-fi fantasy and, you know, knew yeah. who Tolkien was. 
and they just put it all on my desk. He didn't even give another one to anyone else. Just, and well, no wonder you won. Yeah. Well, I mean, there was the other schools. <laughs> I, I know there there were there were five, whole five I people. I know, who but submitted. you set me up for that. Yes. I had, I had to take it. <laughs> I, I had stiff competition. <laughs> that's the that's the one I've told you. Story, I would right? love to go back and find out that like one of the other kids was West Chu, who I know was in your yes, same school. Yes, he was. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't. He, I know he was. Well, I don't think he was. But this is the story. This, Tangent. She'll go to these. This is the story I stapled backwards, Dan. Have I oh, told you this story? No. So this is talk about digital <laughs> fluency. I did not know that our new printer printed backward, right? Mm -hmm. For whatever reason. I don't even know why printers have this feature. Yeah. But it printed backward. And so, and my title page was a separate page. So I print, click the story, print the title page. And so it printed the story in reverse and printed the title page. And I stapled it. So the last page was the first page beyond the title page and turned it in without looking at it. <laughs> Please tell me it was a time travel story. It was and not. And it worked perfectly when read backwards. It did not. It was not. It's on my website. People can read it. It's really bad. But the, uh, the, the administrators came up to me afterward after I got my $50 savings bond Ooh. for winning the student competition. And they said, you know, at first we thought you were doing some avant-garde, really artsy thing. And then we just realized you'd stapled your story backward. So we rebuilt it for you and gave it to the judges. So oh, the my, judges I'm never glad. saw my embarrassment. I'm glad that they fixed that yes. for you. And that's funny because that's one of the first things that I will teach. You know, I just did Futurescapes, mm -hmm. uh, which is this big, you know, intensive writing workshop thing. And uh, one of the first things I will pull out on the students is this is full of typos, which is okay here. But if you were submitting this for real, that would just get thrown in the garbage. They wouldn't even bother reading it if oh, they man. see that many typos on the first page. We are not going to go into typos that are pet peeves of mine. I know. So we, I know. I want to so badly, but we're not going to. We're instead going to stay slightly on topic. Slightly on topic. And let's get back to this idea of nerd culture becoming mainstream. Yes. Ooh, you said that in such a broadcaster voice. <laughs> That's because this is... The third or maybe fourth time we have had to come back to this topic. The evening and we news. Have yet to say anything about it. With Dan Wells, nobody was killed. Let's move on. Can I give another tangent now that you're talking about news stories? So I was talking to April Lynn Pike today because I saw a news story that said Florida mom goes to daughter's school with a boxing glove and punches a kid. And I'm she lives in Florida, so I'm like, okay, hey, look, you're in the news again. And I thought that was very funny of me. So now yeah. you all get to enjoy how funny I, I was. I do enjoy Florida man memes just because they say Florida man and things like that. It just, it's mm -hmm. one of those things that just naturally cracks me up on the internet. And it's weird which memes work and which ones don't, right? Like Karen memes do not work because I have a good friend named Karen. Yeah. And it really bugs me, the whole Karen thing, because... I'm like, she doesn't care. I've asked her. She's like, ah, you know, it's an internet thing, whatever. Yeah. I'm not going to Streisand effect, you know, <laughs> using this. But it Karen really, memes. yeah, it, it, that one really bugs me. But when Chuck Testa was a thing, this is dating me. Mm. I loved every single one Man. of those. Nope. Chuck Testa. Yeah. And the, that the, was oh, hilarious. The me and the boys meme about the Spider-Man villains. Oh, yeah. The, me and the boys heading out I, to whatever. I can, I can look at those for hours. So... Man, the one that has just taken off is the line from WandaVision that like, what is grief except love enduring? 
or persisting uh-huh. that has turned into a meme now and every single one of them drives me to a rage mm. they're so bad yeah uh. yeah though the one from wandavision i do like is the the exaggerated uh wink. oh the huge wink the huge wink with the mouth open uh that one mm-hmm that one, uh, she did such that a great performance in that show. Well. That it brings back my enjoyment of her performance mixed with the fact that it's just a nice shot and it's yeah. memed well. So speaking um, of that, I didn't, for years, I didn't know how to speak, pronounce meme. We talked about this last time. I, I didn't know if it was meme or meme or whatever. And e- meme still sounds weird to me. That's because you did not uh, double major in anthropology in college. Uh, I feel ashamed. I how to do meme. That I did the word meme. What a... Anthropology taught me more, eh? I'm saying that right, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Not more. Mm-hmm. Meme was part of anthropology. Yeah, a meme is just like a cultural unit of uh, kind of Wait, received knowledge. Units? Like thing you can rank? Like you can be like, this is five meme power? No, I guess not unit in that sense, but I component. Really wished... Let's say component. Okay. If you're talking about the aspects of a culture that help you to understand it and to transmit knowledge back and forth, that's what a meme is. Okay. And we have come to use it now as you know a meme is this funny thing that i do with a cat on the internet yes i don't want to know what you do with cats on the internet you know as soon as i said that i'm like you know if nathan and ken jennings were here we would get 15 cat jokes so fast Mm, well you'll have to deal with my one okay but uh yeah bring us back to top on topic wait no this is (laughs) this is relevant because our memes then as nerd culture became widespread memes in the old terminology that you're using. And that is what we're talking about. The the change that made memes our cultural artifacts became everyone's cultural artifacts. Like everybody, my mom went to the Lord of the Rings films. Mm-hmm. My mom, I love her to death. She is the least nerdy in a pop culture sense. She's very nerdy about her own things, like everyone yeah. is. Yeah. Uh, which is another reason why the word nerd just doesn't work for me, because everyone's a nerd tangent this is something i didn't learn till college i didn't learn till college till we talked about last episode the good man and wonderful human being that is earl cahill um our mutual friend who we and, talk about every episode <laughs> yes he's the, he's the unwitting mascot i guess of the episode so when i first started to become friends with earl i started to realize that for years i had harbored a bit of unjustified resentment of people who like sports because mm-hmm. when I was growing up, all media taught me it was us and them, which wasn't true. That's yeah. the thing that's most annoying about it. In I was a band nerd, and in band, we had a football player on the football team in band. He would play on the football team, then he would march with us at halftime and go back to play football. And some of my best friends at school were also into some sports and things. But mm-hmm. in my brain, you could be a nerd or you could be into sports. You could not be both. And this is a lie that pop culture taught me. And then I got to co- culture or to college. I got to know Earl. Earl is super into some sports and super into nerd things. And I realized he is nerdy about sports. All sports people are nerdy about sports. Yeah. It's not Batman, but they can quote you statistics about sports in the same way that my super comic book nerd friends can quote issues. And I realized everybody's nerdy about something. Yeah. My mom is nerdy about accounting. If you've ever read in my books where an accountant is like acting, nerding out over a lost penny. My mother spent once six hours after work when everyone told her to go home searching for a lost penny. 
because it bothered her so much that she didn't have that. And they <laughs> said, know this is within parameters. This is a penny. Don't find this. Go home. She wouldn't. She had to she find the penny. stuck with it. You know, I didn't truly appreciate the link between sports and kind of science fiction nerd until my HarperCollins editor, Jordan Brown, he was trying to convince me that uh, American football is awesome. And he's like, think of it this way. The other team has a certain amount of hit points and your job is to reduce them to zero, at which point you get a new down and it starts a new encounter and then you're fighting and you have to reduce their hit points again. That's kind of brilliant. <laughs> and it makes a lot of sense. And it explains like, you know, football is kind of an endurance game to an extent, mm -hmm. not as much as soccer, but um, by the way, I learned, I could be completely wrong on this. I'm spouting a fact that someone told me once randomly, <laughs> but I'm going to pretend it's true, that the, the word soccer came from England, that that's oh. what they called football. And we just, being the nice friends of England we did, we said, oh, we'll call it what you so call we, it. We will and then they word. betrayed us and they called it something else. And now they laugh at us. That is, a, that is, that is not cool, England. Friggin' England. Mm, yeah. Hey, speaking of soccer in England, I'm going to put in a plug really quick for Ted Lasso. Have you seen or even heard of Ted Lasso? I have never heard of Ted Lasso. Okay, so it's a show that was on Apple TV. So like... Okay, seven people... Seven people have seen it, but they all loved it. It is a... He actually just won a, a Golden Globe for it. Uh, so some people have seen it. It is like... Imagine Mr. Rogers uh -huh. is a Kansas City football coach who gets hired to go and coach a uh, London football team. Okay. Soccer team. Soccer team. And uh, so... Like, he, they reveal very early on in the very first episode that he was brought there secretly. Their plan is that he will tank the team and destroy it. But he is an endlessly good-hearted person who is kind to everyone and eternally optimistic and ends up raising the spirits and improving the lives of everyone around him. And it was just an absolute delight start to finish. That sounds awesome. Breath of fresh air to watch a show about a good person who wins by being a good person. If you want to watch something similar to this, I'll give you a recommendation okay. too. I watched a great video essay last week by Patrick H. Willems, which was talking about why baseball makes the best movies. <laughs> okay. And he is not a sports fan. He doesn't like sports. And so he analyzed it as a nerd who likes nerdy things, looking at, he's a film nerd. Mm -hmm. Why did baseball as a structural thing work so well for movies when other games tend to have problems translating the actual game fascinating. and so it's a it's a great essay highly recommend it his okay. uh, his channel has just gotten fantastic the last year it was always good but uh so what, what was the name again patrick h willems patrick h willems i yep. need to go watch that most sounds really good film criticism but he does the the whole shtick where he's got like kind of a a little bit of a skit at the beginning and end kind of like the red letter media guys mm. used to do his is that, you know, he's playing the role of like this guy who's a YouTube star who's making, you know, algorithm driven whatever. And he's now gotten really popular and he has an agent and he's also going crazy maybe because he talks to a coconut. So okay. uh, if you're confused by the coconut stuff, that's a, you know, that's a couple <laughs> minutes at the beginning and end. But that's his frame story to yes. explain why the essay exists. Yes. Hey, do you remember that one time when we were doing a podcast about how nerd culture became mainstream? Oh yeah, that was. Uh, I don't think we ever actually finished that no, I don't podcast. Think we did. did. We? No, uh, it was on the podcast. Brandon and Dan recommend things about sports, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was. That's a good podcast. It was title. a really yeah. That was uh yeah. Playing against type. Mm-hmm. 
Brandon and Dan and sports. You know, so, it actually kind of bothers me a little bit in nerd culture when we when we joke about sports ball a little bit. I, uh, sports ball has become a word that I really find annoying mm -hmm. because it seems intended to increase that divide and to make fun of people who yeah. like something. And I and don't I, like making fun of people for liking things. I used to use it and I've come to kind of be like, why am I making fun of anybody for their legitimate passions? And why yeah. am I, again, pretending you can't be one, you have to be one or the other, or that we don't, like, I seem, feel like I would probably share more with the rabid sports fan who loves a thing than I might with somebody else who has no deep passions. Cause I'm really passionate about fantasy novels and storytelling, yeah. so. But, you know, it reminds me of, like, I hate watching most stuff that is set in a high school because they focus so much on the idea of cliques. Yeah. And, you know, even the really good, intelligent high school movies like um, Mean Girls yep. still is all about, you know, we have the scene where we walk through the cafeteria and we show the new girl, there's the goths and there's the nerds mm -hmm. and there's the band kids. My high school wasn't like that. Mine wasn't either. And I don't, I don't like this received cultural meme mm -hmm. that kids have to kind of identify and then calcify into this one social position because I don't think that's true. And I think it's an actively harmful idea about how society works and how yeah. people need to learn to find their place and then not get out of it. I agree with this entirely. I actually just wrote a video essay about this Ooh. because movies are like not a thing anymore very much. And so I've been going back to my list of movies that I hadn't seen for, or that I had on a list that I wanted to watch, but I hadn't seen. Mm -hmm. And one of those was Bumblebee. And Bumblebee is indeed the best Transformer movie. Low bar. Low bar. Live action, I should say. Some people, I... I think it's probably better than the old cartoon, despite our love for it. But mm -hmm. let's just say it, it had a really weird set of character arcs. And so I'll put the, vest, uh, the video up eventually, but it has a mean girl scene, right? And some of this high school click stuff yeah. because the kids are in high school. So they have to have this. And it's like useless to the story because the protagonist doesn't seem to care about high school anymore doesn't care about any of these people, is <laughs> off on a fantastic adventure with a giant robot, and briefly for like two scenes or three scenes, is suddenly chagrined by teen drama. And then it like doesn't impact her character arc at all and is not relevant in basically any way. Yeah. And so anyway. We were talking last time about movies written by committee. Yeah. That was some studio exec being like, nope, you've got to put in this social awkward, yeah. doesn't fit in with the girls at school scene. She can't just be a mechanic tinkering on stuff. How will people know she's a teenager? She must be bullied, right? Ugh, uh, yeah, it. It, uh, it had, despite being a good movie that I would recommend, it had a bunch of stuff like this that just made me cock my head. So look forward to that video essay, folks, if you mm -hmm. are interested in Brandon's take uh, on that. It's, uh, it's backlogged. We still have one that we're waiting uh, to get done and things. But anyway, we were talking about something. Oh, sports. No. Sports, that's what it was. Yeah. No, we were talking about the idea that when we were kids, mm -hmm. th the fact that there would one day be like six live action Transformers movies never crossed our minds. Nope. If you had told little me who watched, you know, Spider-Man and his super friends or whatever it's called yeah. in the every Saturday morning, mm -hmm. that one day there would be a movie live action 
where Black Panther throws the Infinity Gauntlet football style and yep. Spider-Man webs onto it and gets hurled through space and then and like and Ant-Man catches him or War Machine. Just all this stuff going on. Was that five years ago? Can you spoil I that? don't know. <laughs> I can spoil that. It is everyone in the world has seen it. Well, yeah. Not just that there would be a movie that did that, but it would be for a time the highest grossing film of all time. Yeah. That that would be the cultural moment. Like that film, particularly the moments right before that that I won't spoil, but mm-hmm. the single biggest pop culture moment probably of the last decade. So here's what I think is happening and what I think is going to happen. A lot of this, of course, is just the kids who, you know, comic books were invented at a point in time. Mm-hmm. And anything that is new is weird if you're old. Yeah. You know, which is why we talked about how we don't understand TikTok. But the kids who grew up with comics, for whom comics were normal, are now making stuff. Right. And so all of that nerd stuff is normal. What's going to happen within 10 or 20 years, and we've, we're already starting to see it, is that video games have become very normal in a way that they weren't before. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Video games are not a nerdy thing anymore. Well, we still haven't seen them achieve the level of cultural penetration that I think they're going to. I agree. We are absolutely going to arrive but at the point where esports are as popular as normal sports. What you've got to remember is there are more women, middle-aged women, who play video games than mm-hmm. there are kids in a lot of cases because of Bejeweled and solitaire and things. And so yeah. we may not, like we, our biases may not say that's a video game, but that's true. technically the, one of the largest demographics for video games is middle-aged women on PCs. That's absolutely They are even true. PC master race. <laughs> I still have this, don't I? I think I have it. I have Infinity War or Endgame's Dragon Award. Oh, really? From the dragon, because I was, uh, I was at Dragon Con and they gave a you know award as they should have those were fantastic movies and so i actually texted joe uh, rousseau and said hey do you want this he's like yeah pick it up bring it to me sometime and then <laughs> the lockdown happened so i still have the award so you still have it i have the award for uh for endgame i believe it might be infinity war actually, i actually think it's infinity war sitting on my shelf now, waiting the, the, to be taken I, I have to tell you viewers yeah. a story about brandon and the sheer volume of awards that he has uh the first time that writing excuses won an award it was a parsec which mm-hmm. similar to dragon award is an yeah. award that they do at dragon con for podcasts specifically and uh, we won this thing and their point of contact was brandon and they asked him how many awards uh like physical awards we wanted and he said oh just one is fine because he assumed the rest of us wouldn't want one because he's got like four thousand awards i just breaking the foundation of his house by their weight and the rest of us are all like, what? Well, we've never won anything. What? We want one. You won a Hugo Award. <laughs> well, not yeah. at that time. Yeah. I won one later. Yeah. I've yeah. got it now. Mm-hmm. We have to We have to send that off. We did. Oh, we, we, we sent it to him? Oh, you're oh, smart. We don't actually have it anymore? I don't anymore? actually have it anymore. Dang. Okay. Adam Adam got smart and just sent it to them. Good job. He's a go-getter. Yeah. Good. Yeah, because I was going to bring it to them, but then everything's been digital and stuff ever since. So. Yeah. Those are gorgeous awards. Uh, regardless, 
that is now nerd culture. And some things still seem like you don't see a lot of people pen and paper role-playing in the same way, but you do see them playing like magic. Yeah. Right? Well, like, it's, it's moment is coming. Things like Stranger Things, mm-hmm. working hard to normalize role-playing. Yeah. Uh, critical Role being like one of the most popular things in the whole world. Right. It hasn't happened yet. Oh, but the, I think the mainstreamization of pen and paper role-playing is on the horizon. Critical role, I think you're right. Like, I just have my Spotify playlist thing, and it periodically pops up fan music based on critical role because I have liked the right things where I'm like, who are these people talking? It's one of these, like, you know, the the sort of house music-ish thing, I'm getting the definitions wrong, where you put mm-hmm. in occasionally quotes and lines and then you you riff around it with music. Yeah. And I've had multiple different artists of fan music for Critical Role pop up. I'm like, what is this? And yeah. Critical Role is so huge. And I think, you know, they weren't the first actual play on YouTube, mm-hmm. but they are easily the biggest one. And they are, you know, again, normalizing it. And I don't know if we're ever going to get to the point where you're going to see like actual play campaigns broadcast on TV. Right. But I think we are going to see the day when TV doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. We're, we're maybe already getting there. Yeah. Because, TV meaning traditional network broadcast. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're already in the age of streaming and the idea that people watch what's on a network because it's on that network is starting to become meaningless and silly. Uh, and there's already, you know, my kids, for example, they have YouTubers that they watch religiously yep. and they couldn't tell you what company produced any show. Right. I, uh, I, I've just let it go, but I am always subscribed to Unspeakable, who is a gaming YouTuber because my kids borrow my phone and he asks them nicely. And so they subscribe and I've unsubscribed like a hundred times. And finally, I'm like, all right, Unspeakable is going to just show up in my feed because you know what? Oliver really likes Unspeakable and he's just going to, he's going to, he's going to, he's going to give, help, help a man out, a little YouTuber who, uh, you know, only, only has what, 50 million subscribers. And you know, he's mm-hmm. all, all he's got is back. So that's good. That's mm-hmm. nice that he's my, helping out the little guy. If I told you guys this story that I came up once and Ollie was playing with his cars. Did I tell this story? No. He was, so he had out the kinetic sand and he was driving his little cars through them. And he was four, probably really young, young enough that he could talk, but not old enough that he was going to school and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so he's driving his little cars along and I just watched and I had this kind of parental moment where I'm like, ah, you know, my little boy entertaining himself and I don't have to, you know, be entertaining him. He's, he's, He's growing up and it's so cute to watch him play with his little cars. And he lined them all up on the side of the little tray he was playing in. And then he said, all right, thanks for watching. Please like and subscribe and leave a comment in the comments. <laughs> and that was how he finished his play session. Oh my He wasn't gosh. filming himself or anything, but he had watched enough kids play on YouTube that he thought you did that at the That's end. What you did when he, you're done playing yeah. with toys. Please like and subscribe and leave a comment in the comment section. And then he got off his chair and walked away. And it went from dad being, you know, ah, to that dad being barely able to contain his laughter and also being slightly horrified that perhaps his child had spent 
a little, a little too, much, too time. much time. But see that, you know, getting back to the anthropology class that I, you know, double majored in, this is a known anthropological phenomenon where, you know, similar to the idea of a cargo cult, if, if you know what that is. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, this, you know, where you, something exists in a culture long past the point yeah, where like it's, the save icon, its context is, right? yeah, like our save icon looks like an old three and a half floppy disk yep. and will for the rest of time. The phone icon, the call somebody icon on my phone looks like an old style phone, yep. even though a phone is a rectangle. Yep. There's a really famous story in uh, sociology and anthropology about a uh, family that would pass down their great-great-grandmother's roast beef recipe. And step one was always that you cut the end off of it. Yep, I've heard the story. I used this in a book. Really? I used it in the Stormlight book. Go ahead and tell the story. I'll tell you my yeah, version. So, so the, the point of the story is that this woman, after you know five or six generations, was trying to track down the origins of why you cut the end off the roast. Does that improve the flavor? Does it let the juices flow in or out? Like, what are all the reasons that you do this? And it turns out that it's because great-great-grandma's roasting pan was too small to fit a whole roast in it. And people for decades, for generations, had been cutting their roasts short because that's how grandma made it. Yeah, I did it with a tying your belt around in Stormlight before you train, that you tied it twice, and then found out that the original teacher from generations ago was really just really thin guy. <laughs> and so oh, he needed to tie it twice and he was a little shorter. So if he didn't tie it tight, it dragged on the ground. And so I just had a thought though. You had the words, this phrase, I think I'm going to get it wrong. Bizarre anthropological phenomenon. That might be what I said. Uh, that's a good podcast title. Hey, 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 we yeah. still need to name this stupid podcast. Don't yeah. We? Bizarre anthropological phenomenon. Bizarre anthropological phenomenon. BAP. Yeah. Mm. As an acronym. Well, you can portmanteau that, or how do you say that word? Portman- Port, yeah. Portmanteau. Yeah. Yeah. B- Biz- <laughs> Bizanthropophenomenon. Bizanthronon. Uh-oh. Oh, you are good at we've that. We've said Bizanthronon, and now we've summoned him. Oh, <laughs> he's going to eat our Hawaiian food. Um, All Hail Byzantronon is probably a pretty good podcast name, ooh, too. Ooh, vote in the comments. Uh, um, which one? We don't even know where this is going to be. Vote uh, on the Reddit thread. Which vote somewhere. Which, uh, which of the two titles that you prefer? Write your answer on a piece of paper, fold it into an airplane, and throw it out into the universe. Mm, it'll get to us. We're, we're famous. It'll find us. Just write to Dan and Brandon. <laughs> Uh, yes. All right. What was the other topic we wanted to talk about that we didn't get around to? Cult classics, which I feel is, is similar Mm -hmm. in some ways. If, if only because the things that were popular for us as kids, you know, come from a very specific time and a very specific frame. Like, what are we thinking of cult classics? Like, so... Better off dead. That was the first one that came to my mind, actually. We think along the same lines. Mm -hmm. I was thinking of movies that were well known among our group, whoever we were when we were kids, that we watched a lot, that you were surprised to find other people hadn't heard of. Mm. Or maybe that, yeah, that's that's that would be my first definition. Like, what are the movies that you loved as a kid? 
you were surprised nobody else knew. You know, the first DVD that I ever bought, mm -hmm. and again, we come from the generation that DVDs were invented when we were in high school, yeah. or at least they became mainstream at that point. Mm -hmm. uh, the first one I ever bought with my own money was uh, Mom and Dad Saved the World. Haven't seen it. And I used to think that was the funniest movie. It has like John Lovitz and Terry Garr and Jeffrey Wright. It does not hold up. I went back and I tried to watch it again, and it was not the nonstop hilarity that I remember it you being. You guys. But it still does have one of my favorite movie lines of all time. Oh, you got to give it to us. Well, at the end, you know, the guy finally comes back and he's ready to rescue everyone and save the day. And he says, that's my wife you've tied up. That's my planet you're trying to blow up. And that's, that's just some guy. <laughs> uh -huh. That will always be funny to me. You made me watch Brain Donors. That's, I think, more of a Ben. That's a Ben movie, more yeah. than a Dan movie, but I do think it counts as a cult classic. Yeah, I had never seen it before. Yeah. Better Off Dead would be my choice because my brother and I watched that movie ad nauseum, right? Mm -hmm. And my wife had never heard of it, and none of her family's heard of it. Really? And I'm like, how can you not know, you know? I mean, I'd understand if you didn't get, what's it called, like One Crazy Summer? Which See, is kind of like One Crazy Summer. I actually watched probably seven or eight times before I ever saw Better Off Dead. But Better Off Dead is clearly a better movie. Yes. Never seen it. They speak of lines. The line, gee, Billy, I'm really sorry your mom blew up, is the one from that movie <laughs> that my brother and I would quote at each other. Do you have any others? Like, you know, a movie that it, I, I don't know if I can call it a cult classic because it is fairly well known, but. None of my friends in high school knew it. And in, in fact, I rarely encountered anybody who knew it well until I met Emily, uh, which is What's Up, Doc? What's Up, Doc? She forced me to watch that. Yeah. I mean, force. It's actually a pretty good movie. It, it's one of my favorite movies. I think it's one of the funniest ones uh, ever made, in my humble opinion. This is my wife's family's cult movie, it, the it's, film they it's, watch all yeah, the time. It's the movie that I always want to introduce to people. And then we met Emily and she immediately knew it. And we started quoting it to each other. Like now Howard. And uh, yeah, she will still and, quote and it. That's when I knew like mm -hmm. this. Yes. You're allowed to join my friend group. Welcome. Yeah, I she, will consent to you marrying my friend all the time. Uh, and I'm like, that's if she quotes something, I'm like, it's what's up doc. Right. And she's like, yeah. How have you not figured this out yet? I've got another one for you though. Okay. You're going to like this one. This is a movie I watched a billion times when I was like seven. It's called Caddyshack. Only the parts with the gopher. Because my dad had a cut, a super cut, if you will, in modern lingo, of only the gopher scenes somehow for me on VHS. And I had no idea that Caddyshack is a very adult-themed movie with a uh, very risque material, shall we say. I just thought it was the gopher movie. And that and it was so, 15 minutes long. Yes, and so I was one of the few people that Caddyshack 2 hit perfectly for, because it came out when I was like a teenager. <laughs> and Caddyshack 2 is, let's just say, lower, it's moved down on the ratings, um, mm -hmm. and still has like scatological humor and stuff, but targeted a teenager plus gopher. And so in my head, I'm like, how have I missed the first movie? This one is outrageously funny. <laughs> it's a famous flop, by the way. But, yeah. you know, I was like 14. You know, whatever. 
And so then I went and I'm like, I want to see Caddyshack. And my dad's like, no, you can't see no, Caddyshack. No, you don't want to see Caddyshack. You don't want to. You're not going to see Caddyshack. So That's there's a cult funny. film for you. Caddyshack, only Bill Murray fighting a gopher. You know... I think that's another artifact of our childhood is uh, so many of the movies that we watched endlessly were VCR'd off of TV. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so like, I can still sing you the big red commercial Yeah, because we had that in the commercial breaks between all the movies we love to watch that we had taped off of TV. Yeah. You know, the Dunkin' Donuts commercial was on one of ours. I'm trying to remember. It might've been Willow or something like that. Willow's pretty late, so I don't know, but you know, that famous... Dunkin' Donuts commercial, famous quote unquote, where like, it's time to make the donuts. And then the guy's like, I already made the donuts. Like it's in some movie even that I saw. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that's the one. Time, was time to make the donuts yeah. was, a, was a, yeah. mm -hmm. a meme before memes were called memes. Called memes. Yeah. But uh, one of the ones that we watched over and over hundreds of times as children was Blues Brothers. Oh. Because it was taped off of TV. And when I finally, you know, as an adult was like, okay, Dawn, I'm going to show you this movie. I did not realize that it was, had so much foul language in it. I mean, I mean, not a ton, I don't but think enough. it's actually that much. It is, it's rated R, but it's pre-PG-13. Yeah. There, there um, is like the penguin scene with the nun that yeah. has, you know, 25 F-bombs yes. in it. That one I had never seen because that one didn't air on TV. TV. Yeah. I actually have this experience with a ton of movies that... Like I, I still will go back and they'll be like, what? I'm like, oh, this is a good movie. And they're like, yeah. What about this scene? I'm like, oh, I don't remember that scene. That, that um, scene's not that in there. That scene's not in the movie. Because we just watched it on TV. Yeah. So cult classic that is a legit cult classic for a lot of people. But I realize it for us was Attacking the Killer Tomatoes. Mm, As yeah. kids, when Man, we went to the video store. scared the crap out of me when did I was you? a kid. Or did it? <laughs> yes. Like, we oh. loved Attack of the Killer Tomatoes as just kids for whatever reason. And I think it's probably, I haven't seen it as an adult. I know it was like a cheap, uh, low-budget film made tongue-in-cheek, kind of basically ape off of like The Blob or something like that. But man, we watched that like a billion times. See, and in hindsight, that movie is so funny. And I think I must have seen it in a weird time or place and just got completely traumatized by it well but, you know a... looking back the guy who's trying to disguise himself as a tomato and then yes. he is revealed because he asks someone to pass the ketchup yep like that's so funny you know sometimes though as kids one thing i've noticed this has got a book tie-in sort of idea the alcatraz books these are my middle grade series mm -hmm. did not really land in the market real well some people like them i'm glad that you guys who like them like them but they didn't land terribly well. And so I, you know, I started talking to kids about them and what they liked. And none of them mentioned the humor. Because the Alcatraz books are kind of humorous kids. He's like a, an older teenager writing about his life as a youth and making lots of textual jokes and funny and dumb puns. And even like, and they're like, oh, it was a, it's a, such a fun adventure story. And they're comedies, right? They're straight up comedies. Like they... They're not just comedies. They're almost Hitchhiker's Guide level where, you know. Yeah, I mean, you're specifically is, yeah. playing with the form of yeah. novel itself. Yes. And none of the kids mentioned the humor. And I got older kids who thought they were funny and didn't mention the plots. Hmm. And I realized what they are is they're middle grade books with YA age humor or hmm. adult age. Not adult in sort of, you know, adults, but in 
you know, lot sarcasm, for instance. There's an age where kids get sarcasm. And when they do, it's pretty funny. But before they do, they don't get it. And I'm, you know, people talk about dad jokes, right? Yeah. Dad jokes, I'm convinced exist because it is a father trying to teach their kids humor. And so has to dumb down the jokes till the age gets them and finds them funny. But then yeah. you get trapped there and you just keep making those jokes because as the kids age out of those jokes, it becomes funny that they hate them, right? Yeah. But the initial concept of why a dad joke works is because you are making a really obvious pun or really obvious sarcasm so that the young kid who doesn't know this yet can get you winking at them and be like, that's a joke. Why is that a joke? Oh, I get that that's a joke. Mm -hmm. And I had all of that in the Alcatraz books targeted at 9, 10, 11-year-olds before most of them got that style of humor. Yeah. But then the older kids who are reading it, the stories are very whimsical. They're very middle grade, right? Going mm -hmm. on just a, a strange whimsical adventure, no romance, no, and whatever. And so the teenagers are like, eh, they're funny, but there's not a lot of story to them. The kids are like, such an exciting story, but lots of words that don't I don't understand. Yeah. And they only really land with that, that rare kid who's too smart for his own good or her <laughs> own good, who is advanced in humor, but still likes a middle grade plot. Yeah, that's a really interesting way to look at that. I and hadn't I, considered that before. This actually relates because I think some of the cult classics that we get into, you can get into as a kid for the story and not get the humor. Mm -hmm. And like you were frightened by Attack of the Killer Tomatoes because it's a horror movie spoof. You got the horror movie aspect yeah. of it because tone you pick up faster as a kid than you pick up humor. Exactly. And sarcasm and satire. You know, and uh, there's another horror spoof from that same era called The Stuff. Did you watch? Did I did you not the watch stuff? The Stuff. The Stuff is not nearly as well known as I thought that it was. And it sits in that same area where if you don't understand the humor yet, it's pure horror. It's kind of uh, a very corporate version of the blob sort of kind okay. of. Okay. But once you understand what's going on, and you know, sarcasm by its nature is invisible if you don't get it. Mm -hmm. It's it's not present, and it's it's very easy to miss. So, any others that's interesting that you had, or you know, what are your favorites that are recognized? Like, are you a Rocky Horror person? I am um, not a Rocky Horror person, but I am a Clue person. Okay, yeah, Clue would count in this. I think a lot of yeah, them. but I think. I mean, Clue is interesting because it tanked so hard in the theaters yeah. and then was one of, if if not the first, to become a VHS cult classic. And that's because of the three endings. Right, right. Tim Curry's just so good in that. Yes. The whole thing is great, but how about this? Here's a movie. The movie I love the most that people seem to hate the most okay. is Speed Racer. By the oh, Wachowskis. Man. That is one of the worst movies ever made. <laughs> I absolutely <laughs> and love And I know that. that you and your brother love it. Yeah. And like, I tried to watch it a second time mm -hmm. out of, you know, respect, respect for, for you. And I'm like, no, they're just wrong. It's so good. It's such a great movie. It's like a nine out of 10 for me. That is just unbelievable. But see, I didn't grow up with Speed Racer as a cartoon. And I did. But I like the Wachowskis' artistic style, the vision, the way they make films, and I like their narrative so style. So did you like Jupiter Ascending? Uh, so <laughs> I did not watch Jupiter Ascending. Oh, okay. Because I'm worried I won't like it. Because I have mm. not 
dislike the Wachowski film. I like the Matrix sequels. Um, mm-hmm. The third one has, I will admit, an issue in reconciling like the war scenes and stuff. But I love the second one, Reloaded. I think it's just a great film. I, I, I think we saw it together. Yeah. I love it too. So... I will watch Jupiter Ascending. Maybe that's my homework at some point. I'll grab Emily and force her to watch Jupiter Ascending with oh, me man. because I have a, I'm worried, right? They have a perfect track record with me. And there, so. there, there are uh, people who love it. Mm-hmm. Like Nava Wolf, if I'm remembering yeah. correctly, mutual friend of ours, she loves it. I just could not get through it. I'll have I don't to, know what it is. I will watch it. I will watch it at some point and let you know. I, I um, feel like there is a... You know, you let the Wachowskis off the leash, so to speak, and they just will create something that is too weird for me. And I don't know why that is, because like Chronicles of Riddick, for example, which is a yeah purposefully ridiculous space opera. I love that movie. Not by the Wachowskis. No, it's not um, them. But it and is so a great it movie. might be their specific aesthetic mm-hmm. that is that doesn't work for it's me. It's a great goofy movie, we should say, Chronicles of Riddick. Is. Yeah. It's a weird sequel to perfect it's, dark you know a guy got all his friends together to make Pitch a black. space yeah. conan movie yeah and i am totally down for a space conan movie. all right what is the movie that you like the most that everyone else seems to hate the movie that i like the most and everyone else seems to hate man i kind of want to say mom and dad save the world but it needs to be one like speed racer that i even today as an adult genuinely love mm-hmm yeah. Ooh, boy. I'm going to have to think about this. Where one. were the critics wrong on a, a, a on a, on a film? And I can't think of one for me other than Speed Racer, where the divide between my love of it and like the Rotten Tomato rating is so vast. <laughs> and Rotten Tomatoes is not the be-all and end-all, but I generally like movies that are fresh and dislike movies that aren't, but not always like... I disagree with Rotten Tomatoes in the opposite direction on several of the Star Wars sequels. So, see, it's it's so much easier to think of movies I hate that other people love, but that's because I'm cantankerous. That's yeah. not the same as so, I'll I love a thing. Let you off the hook. What we should do is we should you should just maybe your homework to go scan the top Rotten to- or the bottom Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> percents until say, you get what? to a movie. Are you kidding? That, that you one like. was so good. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, for now, my interim answer is Mom and Dad Save the World because it is still one that I force my kids to watch because I loved it so much as a kid myself. But there you go. Well, our podcast, I think we may have to wait until the fans can vote. So we promised we would name our show yeah. this time. We're going to have to name it next time. Yeah, we'll let we'll let the fans vote. We'll see what the Reddit thread says or whatever. Those, I'm sure. uh, paper yeah. airplanes. Tape, what's that? Paper airplane? Oh, the paper airplanes <laughs> when they come in. Our two choices. Can we even remember them now? One is bizarre. Oh, bizarre anthropological, anthropological phenomenon. phenomenon. And the other one is uh, the weird god name that you came up with. Uh, ben Thrazon. <laughs> ben Thrazon's... Uh, Banthrazon's will. We'll see. Someone, someone tag them both in the, uh, in the. Yeah. Let us know what you think. All right. We'll, uh, we'll name our show something. We're not promising it'll be one of those things, but it will, will allow your choices to influence our decision. Yep. So, (laughs) Dan and Brandon's podcast. We still have an outro. Goodbye.